One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. In this podcast, I speak with many inmates currently serving lengthy prison sentences for a range of different crimes. If this is your very first time listening to the show, well, number one, welcome. And we already have two previous fascinating cases out now and ready for you to binge and play detective. Before we get into today's story, I thought now would be a great time to give you a taste of just some of what's still to come on One Minute Remaining. My name's Helen Kidwell. I was convicted of second-degree murder, arson, earning to fraud, and solicitation for arson. He was supposed to be a, a part of the Mexican mafia, him and his partner, and, uh, and so it was very intimidating. I mean, I seen him go over a cop's house and buy drugs from the cop and everything. My name's Anthony Duke. I was convicted of second-degree murder and felony murder. My father was in Marion County Jail, and when he was in county jail, um, unbeknownst to us, he was trying to plot to have me, my mother, and my grandmother killed so that we wouldn't testify against him regarding the abuse. Thought everything was well, but then they came back because they found some stabbings in my backyard. According to the officer that was in my backyard prior to me coming home, he found them. I am fascinated that you're on Facebook. Uh, do, are you able to tell me how you're doing that, or would you rather not? Um, okay, I can do that. I don't give my full name. Of course. In today's episode, we'll hear the story of David Talley, our first male inmate for the show. I first heard about David's story via TikTok. In the early stages of this project, I shared a few videos online, which got quite a lot of attention and were seen by hundreds of thousands of people. One of those people was David Talley's son. Hello? Mr. Talley, sir. Hey, how you doing? Um, I'm good, my friend. How are you? Good, good, good. David's son messaged me after seeing my videos chatting with Kim and Doris and asked me if I could help his father and draw attention to his case. Hello, this is a prepaid call from... David Jolly. An inmate at a Florida Department of Corrections institution. David Talley does not claim to be an innocent man. He did the wrong thing and found himself in trouble with the law. David, hello. Oh, hi, Jack. Good, good talk to you. Very good to talk to you too, my friend. I've heard a lot about your story and I'm very excited to... Uh, Before we hear about what David had done, I asked him about his life prior to his current prison sentence. Yeah, um, I, I grew up... Um, I dropped out of school early and uh, I went to work right away. So I was kind of a, 
um, self-sufficient man. You know, I've always worked hard, and uh, I was married at a young age, and uh, I really think that's what started the whole my whole downward spiral. Was I went through a, a, a bad divorce back in '84, and then uh, I got introduced to cocaine. Uh, you know, the crack cocaine, of course, and uh, I, co- I became severely addicted, and uh, my life was just pretty much a downward spiral from there. Uh, I ended up in and out of prison, and uh, yeah, that's what led up to, to the events that got me in prison today. You, you weren't um, a stranger to the law, so what, what other things, what were you doing to, to get yourself in trouble with police? Mostly theft, uh, property theft. Just yeah, uh, that was put me in and out of the prison there. Yeah. So how many times have you been in prison previous to one the time you're in now? Uh, four times. Right. Four and times. and what what were those sentences? Um, uh, just short ones. I believe like a thirty month sentence, uh, two five year sentences, and uh, forty two month sentence. Now, I have no doubt that there will be people already listening to this having zero sympathy for someone like David, a drug addict who was stealing property to help pay for his addiction. However, I think it's important to note addiction is an extremely cruel thing and can drive even the best people down very, very dark paths. It's also important to note that David did try and get himself clean on many different occasions. Did you ever try and get off drugs? Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, I was... um... I was, I've been to several different inpatient uh, programs. Um, the couple of them were long-term. Uh, I spent like, um, oh, of all, in one program, I spent about almost a year in the program uh, previous to this. Yeah, I was, I, was, I tried. I tried very hard to, to, to beat my addiction, but uh, that, that, Cocaine crap is really, really addictive. Yeah, it's bad. So yeah, I had it really severe. So you've got, um, you've obviously got a family. I've spoken to your your sister, um, and uh, I've also briefly spoken to your son. Are you still married, or you you still you were divorced at the time? Yes, I'm divorced now. Did your? I mean, I still have a relationship with the, with the with the ex, but still, I mean, we're, we are divorced, though. Yeah. Have you just got the, the one child, your son? Uh, no, sir. I actually, uh, he has a brother. Uh, that uh, that that relationship there, uh, his mother left, and uh, she happened to have a kid while she left, so he does have a brother. Right. The one you've been talking to. And then by a different marriage, I have a daughter. She's really great. Okay, so you have, you have a good relationship with your children. Got, yes, and I still have a good relationship, thank God, yes. As I previously mentioned, David Talley's son was the first person to get in touch with me, so I wanted to hear from him just what it was like growing up with his father. I, I remember, you know, he worked for my uncle, his, his brother, uh, running heavy equipment and land clearing and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, when he was around... I was at work with him. He was showing me how to run heavy equipment. You know, we're clearing land, and I'm I'm riding around in semi trucks with him. And uh, my dad was big in the motocross when he was a young kid. He had bought me dirt bikes and 
riding gear and all this stuff and we were going to the racetracks in Orlando and over the states with some of his old racing buddies that was kind of our thing that, that we had a connection with was riding uh, motocross so that was kind of my memories of you know being around him out in the woods and on the motorcycles and and stuff like that you know I also got the chance to sit down with David Talley's daughter and chat with her about what she remembered of her father from this time. And what she had to tell me was an extremely sad story about how drugs and addiction had affected her entire family. What are your memories of your father when you were younger? Obviously, he's, you know, he was in jail for most of your childhood, I suppose. But do you have many memories of when he was out of prison? Um, I have a few, like I have like um, a couple of him picking me up from daycare. Um, one time he took me to the fair and um, I actually lost a tooth and uh, he, the tooth fairy came and I had a few dollars. So now being an adult, of course, I know that was him who played tooth fairy and stuff like that. Yeah. So what I do remember, I remember him being there. Everyone tells me he was a great guy. You know, he just had his struggles. Yeah. My mom, she was um, a drug addict as well. So, yeah. you know, just growing up, having both parents um, drug addicts, it, it's been very hard um, for me. My brother, one of my one of my older brothers, James, he actually just overdosed last October. Oh, dear. So it's just been something I've been dealing with my whole entire life, and it's really sad. Um, I have three brothers, David, James, and Shannon, and you know they've all struggled with um, drug addiction themselves. So it's literally been my brothers, my mom, my dad. It's infiltrated my whole entire family. Yeah. Um, I, I promise I've never done a single drug in my life because I've been terrified at the outcome, you know, just I've been surrounded by it my yeah, whole entire life. So it's just, it's really hard. And we grew up in a small town, you know what I mean? So there's not many opportunities. I've actually got lucky and I moved away to a, dis, um, a bigger city and stuff. And, you know, just kind of distance my life from that because that's not what I want for me and my children. So David Talley was an addict and the drug that had its hold over him was crack cocaine, an extremely addictive substance that affects about 5 million Americans. However, David does say that he tried to get help. In fact, every time he went in front of a judge, he asked for that help. I can say honestly that uh, each time I appeared before the court, um, I I begged the courts for help. Um, You know, even then I was, you know, knew I was addicted and um, I sought help from the court. Uh, one time I, I remember that uh, my family was totally behind me and we put like 25 of my family members in front of the court and the judge and begging him to let me go to a to a rehab center out in Texas and uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, and uh, he denies it. Now, uh, after I get you to prison, uh, if you want to go then, then you can then you can go to your rehab if, you, if that's what you want to do. So each time David was refused and sent off to prison, a place that you certainly do not go for drug rehabilitation. 
But David says, nonetheless, every time he was in prison, he stayed away from the drugs that were readily available to him. I mean, uh, back in those days, this is during the 80s and the 90s, um, they they had a couple little drug programs, but uh, there wasn't really much to them. Uh, they weren't adequate, you know, they weren't yeah. actually staffed with experienced people dealing with addictions and stuff like that. I was court-ordered to... Uh, one of these drug programs is that well we'll recommend the doc put you in one of these drug programs and each time they failed to do that and they instead they put me to work building prisons because that's that was one of my trades was i was a carpenter so when i came to prison that's what they put me to put me to doing instead of giving me a drug program so we i know it's you know i know it can, it can be pretty easy to still get drugs in prison were you still taking drugs while you were in prison at the, um in those early days no that's that's one crazy thing about it it's just like this day now i've been in here for 22 years and i haven't used a drug since i've been in here and let me tell you right now when the place on that currently in here right now they are just wild with it. So, I mean, you could be yeah. too. So you could be still taking drugs if you wanted to. Oh, absolutely. They're they're readily available everywhere, <laughs> every corner you turn. So, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, David will talk us through a life-altering decision that he made on the day he was to be sentenced. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, what can I say other than thank you? The One Minute Remaining family is growing each week and it's all thanks to you for spreading the word. Don't forget to join the private Facebook group where you can chat with me and other listeners about the cases and get some bonus content and updates about the inmates we chat with. So check out the link in the show notes or search the One Minute Remaining podcast on Facebook. David Talley was a man who was fighting addiction and his inner demons, finding himself in trouble with the law as he tried to feed the habit. He'd served several jail sentences before and again had found himself in trouble with the police. 
Let's discuss the situation that landed you in where you are right now. So you committed a robbery and you were going to court for that robbery. Is that true? Right. Actually, it was a burglary. Yeah, not a robbery, a burglary. I've never been into any kind of violent crimes. It's always just, just property crime or, you know, burglary, grand thefts, that sort of thing there. No violence. Can you talk me through the burglary? What happened? Yeah, I, uh, to support my habit, I had burglarized a, uh, uh, a gas station in uh, after hours, of course, and um, just for property to trade off for, for crack, of course. And uh, so uh, I was arrested for that. So you've gone to court and you you get sentenced. So what what did the judge did the judge say what your sentence would be, or was he holding off on sentencing? He was holding up on it. He he delayed the sentencing hearing till till later. And that was on your request? And that was on my request, yes. Were you representing yourself or did you have a um, uh, public defender? No, I actually had a paid lawyer at that time. Wow. Because I had planned on going going to trial, but at the last moment, the lawyer recommended that I take the plea deal from the state. So I accepted the plea. Did you know what that plea deal was? Yeah, that was for uh, five years. Yeah. Okay, so the state had turned around and said, you do five years and uh, and we'll call it quits. You're right. Okay. Right. So yeah. so with that five years, was there any parole within that or was it just a straight five years? You're going to jail for five years, there's no getting out early. Yeah, it was a straight five years. It wasn't a mandatory five years, but yeah, okay. five so, years. So what, what's going through your head in that process? So you've been told that you're going to get a mandatory five years in prison. What What's going through your head at that stage? Um, it was just... Uh, again, caught up in my addiction, um, I was just tired of going to prison, and I, I just, I don't know, I really, I wasn't thinking clearly that day, of course, because, I mean, it wasn't like I was un, unfamiliar with the prison system, and it, it wasn't that I couldn't do the time, it was just, I was just tired of the addiction leading me in and out of prison, and uh, the judge, uh, allowed me, I asked him to, to allow me time to uh, go speak to my family, you know, especially my son and my daughter, to explain to them that, you know, once again, here I go back to prison again. In your mind, you had no, uh, you, you knew you weren't going to be going back to jail. You were like, I'm not going back to jail. That's why you asked for that furlough. Yes, sir, that, that's it entirely, yes. You okay. Know, so- you know, I had it in my mind. <laughs> Yeah. I wasn't going back. Yeah. Right. Okay, so you've asked for the furlough. The judge has agreed to that furlough. How long was it supposed to be for? Two days? A day? Yeah, it was just for a couple of days. Uh, two days, I think, that occurred on Wednesday. I was supposed to return on Friday. Yeah. The lawyer that David had at his initial appearance in front of the judge was Michael Kessler, an attorney in Florida who's known David for a number of years. Michael explains the stipulations outlaid by the judge on that day, as well as the repercussions of what would happen if David did not turn up. His initial um, sentencing was looking to be around about, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was about five years? He was charged with two felonies that were each punishable by up to five years. We were in the middle of trial, and if he had been found guilty, the state was going to seek two consecutive five-year sentences. Mm -hmm. In the middle of trial, the two sides came together on an agreement and David agreed to accept a five-year sentence in exchange for taking the second five years off the table. David asked 
this was, I believe, on a Wednesday, David asked for a couple of additional days before sentencing. And the judge agreed, but gave him the same warning he has since given people for, I don't know, 30 years. He says, I will let you have additional time until sentencing, but if you don't appear for sentencing, I'm going to go ahead and have the sentencing hearing without you, and I will not consider myself bound by any plea agreement. The judge told David, if you don't want to agree to that, then we'll do sentencing right now. David accepted that, and then when the sentencing hearing came around on Friday, David was not with us. You know, having an extensive background, I had never failed to appear before. Right. And so based upon that, that's why he let me, you know, do it. Because I had never failed, you know, all these other times I I always show up. So, yeah. Okay. So you leave court that day. Uh, Where do you go? You head back to where you live? Yes. uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I was at that time I was living with my father. So after that hearing, I did as I told the judge I was going to do. I went and spoke with my son, and my son got quite upset about, you know, me going back to prison again. Mm. You know, he's sick and tired of me going in and out, too, you know. So he, he gets emotional, and he expressed his anger about, you know, me being a disappointment and so (laughs) forth, and... Um, how old? How old was he at the time? Tri- um, I think he was like still fourteen, maybe fifteen, somewhere sure. other. Sure. Yeah. So that uh, just fed my thoughts about you know here I am. I'm just I'm, keep screwing up. I can't beat this addiction, you know. And so yeah, it just fed my negative thoughts already. Mm. You know, so. Do you remember that conversation? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, briefly, you know, um, not word for word or anything like that, but no, I mean, yeah, I was really upset about it because like I said, you know, it was a a short sentence, you know, and it wasn't even really about the fact of me not having him around, but I was more, uh, mad about the fact that he was doing the same thing to my baby sister right, yeah. that he did to me yeah. or was or was doing to you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I really felt bad for, for my baby sister. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty devastating, you know. It was always, you know, oh, I'm going to get better, I'm going to get better, things are going to change, you know what I'm saying? And I, I could understand now at this point in my life, I could understand what position he was in at the time. But yeah, so it was definitely it was definitely a, a heartbreaker, you know. And then then the fact of he wasn't wanting to go back to prison on top of that, he kinda made it seem like this was, it was the end of the end, you know. And then of course, uh I my daughter was a lot younger than that and you know at um, that she took it better than he did, of course, being so much younger. But, mm. but yeah, it was it, it was a real hard emotional time at, at that point. Your, your dad's told me about the sort of you know the the days leading up to his um, sort of going on the run, as it were. Um, and he mentions that mm-hmm. he he sort of he spoke to you about the fact he was going back to prison, and he said you took it much better than your brother did because you were a lot younger. Do you remember that day at all? 
No. I don't. Oh. I remember, I know I had a, one night I had a school play and he told me he was going to come and he never showed up. So like, I don't know if it was around that time. Like, I, I just don't know. Like, yeah. he went away when I was around um, seven or eight years old. But it's actually crazy because how I found out about him going to jail, I was watching TV in the living room at my brother's home and I actually seen it on the news. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, his high-speed chase and like that's how I actually, you know, learned of it. So as a man who was struggling with addiction and a constant cycle of drugs and jail and continuing to disappoint his family and his young children, while out on bond the morning he is set to be sentenced... David decides to make a heartbreaking decision. So you've spoken to your children. What happens next? Like I say, it was just a short time. That was Wednesday. So come Friday morning when I had to go back to court for the sentencing uh, uh, the night before, uh, I, that's what happened. I attempted, I drank a, like a quarter of uh, scotch whiskey and ate a lot of my, took a lot of my father's medications in an attempt to suicide and uh, when he got home at uh, 8 o'clock, he worked a night shift at a, at a farm store. And when he got in, uh, uh, he found me pretty much comatose. And uh, he was going to call the, the ambulance and all. And then that just somehow, I, I don't know, I, I, I got, I left, I got, I walked outside, got my vehicle and left and just started driving. I don't know how. I don't know. It's only by the grace of God that, you know, I didn't hurt somebody. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I, and then, of course, uh, hours later, the um, police attempted to pull me over. So so were you driving erratically and, and the police had seen you driving erratically or did someone call the police? Yes, I was driving erratically. Actually, I was coming out of a bad neighborhood and he just got behind me and attempted to pull me over. And obviously you didn't yeah. want to stop. Yeah, uh, uh, yes, yeah. I just continued to run from him. So as David's daughter told us, she found out about the police chase while watching it on TV, while David's son got a phone call from a relative. I remember hearing about it right after getting out of school. Actually, my cousin didn't go to school that day my dad actually drove through the neighborhood that my aunts, my uncle, my dad, that they grew up in. He went through that area, and I remember my cousin calling me. He's like, bro, your dad just came flying by here with freaking six cop cars behind him. Oh, God. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, dude, this the story came out quick to us, you know. It was on, like, the front page of the no, uh, local newspaper the following day. It, it was like a 31-mile chase in 33 minutes or something like, something like that. It was, uh, but, uh, but again, like I said, no, my, there was property damage to the to my vehicle and to the police vehicles, but uh, thank God, no nobody got injured. Yeah, so. That chase went for about half an hour. Um, now, I, I heard from your sister that they did. Uh, someone did say we need to call this chase office because it's getting too dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. 
that they did uh, after years of uh, requesting documents uh, from from the case. Uh, they eventually sent me uh, some paperwork where they showed that they called off the case, but they never they never at any times tried to call off the case, or they never did. You know, they they uh, I found the documents that said uh, you know let Air One surveil, which was the helicopter. They said let the helicopter surveil all other units cease the chase. Air one one six one permission to follow in. Uh, continuing north, uh, he's passing on double solids. Uh, but that never happened. They they continue to aggressively uh, try to stop me. Did they know who the occupant of the car was at the time? Did they, were you in your because you were in your own car, weren't you? Yes, sir. Yeah. That before, uh, like I say, uh, my father got home. He found me pretty much comatose, overdosing on, on drugs and stuff. Well, he called it in. He called the police and told them that, you know, he told them the whole story. Hey, he's supposed to be in court, but apparently he's taken all his drugs and he's drank, drank my liquor. And uh, so uh, they put a bolo be on the lookout. So they had a bolo report on, on me. They were looking for me. Okay. Then at some point, I suppose, did you did you crash your car or did you just stop your car and get out? No, we crashed. They they ran me and they spun me off into a ditch and that was that was end. <laughs> that was end of it. Did you turn a resistance arrest or? Uh, well, just no. Actually, I I knew what was coming. For you know, I was half in and out in and out of it, but I knew what was coming. Uh, with my familiar with the police, uh, I knew what was coming. I, I knew any time that you run from the police, they're going to get rough with you when they finally catch you. Yeah. And so I knew what was coming. So I dove out of the truck and laid flat on the ground and just about. I don't know, at least uh, half a dozen of them just jumped on me and kicked me and beat me, and they sent me to the hospital. Oh, wow. Yeah. How long did you have to spend in hospital? Uh, it was like three days. And nothing was ever done yeah, about that? So it, oh, no, no, nothing. Uh, because when I finally met my lawyer, he told me, well, we work on your criminal stuff. I don't work on your civil stuff, so... So after David's arrest, he was taken to the hospital. But then, to his surprise, he says instead of keeping him at the local jail to book him in on his charges and get him ready to face the judge, he was instantly shipped off to prison. David has a theory as to why this happened. But what was really strange about it was I was, I was took it to the hospital and then hospitalised. And when I did get out, they took me immediately to what they call first appearance. And they you know, read me off the charges I was being charged with, with the high-speed fleeing and stuff. And so when I got back to the jail, normally you'll stay there and you'll get appointed a lawyer and then eventually you'll get to court. But there, because I skipped court on the first count, they sent me immediately to prison. So I stayed in prison for like four months, five months before they brought me back to face the high-speed lead. I took it. They were trying to get me out of town because they didn't want people to know about the beating that I took on the the speeding, you know, the chase arrest. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost certain that's why they got me out of town 
right away. Yeah. I guess they didn't want me talk, talking to anybody. Of course, you know, they denied me any kind of phone call. Hold on, isn't that your your right to to a phone call and all that sort of stuff? Sure, sure it is. But you just yep. didn't get any of that? Yeah, I didn't get any of that. So when was the first time you got to speak with a lawyer? Uh, not until I got returned some, like, it was a little over four months. They brought me back to St. Lucie County, you know, back to the jail in then booked me, finally booked me in on the uh, the high-speed clean and stuff like that. Uh, and so I'm assuming you got assigned a public defender? Yes, uh-huh. I mean, I've heard a lot about yeah. public defenders and how they're usually juggling hundreds of cases. Um, you know, they, they just want to try and, you know, get your case sorted so they can move on to the next one. What was he telling you about the situation? The first time I met this uh, attorney, he made an offer to me, you know, from the from the state attorney, he relayed a offer to me. And um, because of the confusion of how he was already appointed my public defender, you know, I, well, I actually, I turned it down based on his advice. He told me not to take it. He says, because I just got your case. I don't know nothing about it. So I wouldn't take the plea right now. What was the plea deal for? That plea was for uh, 15 years. Little did David know that at that time, if he had taken that plea deal on that day, he right now would have been out of prison seven years ago. We need to point out that no one is trying to make any excuses for what David was doing, nor are they saying that he did not deserve to be in prison. In fact, his own family believed that's exactly where he needed to be. Here's David's sister telling us her thoughts back then. And yes, he deserved his time in prison because he did wrong. He knew he did wrong. And he even said to me many times when I on the phone or went to visit him, Sis, I'm so glad, you know, I went to prison because he got the monkey off my back talking about the drugs because he could never get off of them. Oh, he is so clean. He's so such a different, my little brother that I knew. Even David's son believes his original sentence would not have been enough to get his father totally clean. There's no, no excuse, you know, for, I mean, because that's what pisses me off about it more than anything is like, dude, you could have went and did your seven years on your head, like upside down, dude. Yeah. You could have went and did your seven years. You could have been home years ago. But honestly, I mean, if that was the case, I don't think my dad, would really been better. Yeah. I mean, I honestly think he'd probably wound up back in the street. So him actually having done this 20 years, um, I honestly believe he's, he's changed now. I mean, there, like I said, there, there's no rehabilitation in the Florida prison system. So when you go to prison, it's, it's all what you make out of it. David spent the last 22 years imprisoned in a very violent, volatile place. A fact that hits home when I finally managed to get onto David after an incident at the prison. Lockdown today, so that's good. You got a, you, sorry, you got off lockdown Just today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, so they had a stabbing or something over on the other side of the compound. So they locked the whole compound down. Wow. So, so does that happen regularly? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, pretty often. Uh, probably once a week. Wow. Yeah. Is there a lot of violence around where you are? Yeah, it's always right around the corner, yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty consistent everywhere. Have you have you ever had any um, sort of anyone have a go at you? No, I'm pretty much stayed in my own business and uh, that way it works out well. <laughs> yeah. Is the gang violence um, a big problem? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, nowadays it's the gangs. But if you keep to yourself, you're, you're pretty yeah. you're, you're pretty okay. Yeah, you're pretty okay because you, know, you don't you don't get in their business. They pretty much don't get in yours. So David is finally brought back in front of the judge to face the music, and what is about to happen will change the course of David's life forever. Right? Yeah, he let me speak, but uh, uh, none of my family or anything was there at that point. So what what yeah. did, what were you what what did you say on that day? Um, I pretty much tried to explain the, exactly what we went over before about how I, I did, in fact, meet with my children and the discussions didn't go well and, and then, uh, by attempt, by attempt suicide and, you know, being fed up with coming, peering back and forth in front of the court. Yeah. So he, he let me explain most of everything. Then that's when he just pretty much snapped on me after he let me speak, but then he just went off on me after after I spoke. Uh, he made it sound like as if I did it intentionally to cause him uh, shame from the citizens because he explained something that like, uh, well, what would the people think if you would have killed somebody while you were out there? They wouldn't have blamed you. They would have blamed me and stuff like that so I mean he was clearly he takes it personally and uh, they're not supposed to do that does he then go on to the sentence that he's going to give you he just started reading off the sentence that he was giving me yeah he just started out with uh, two of the highest offenses which were batteries on Leo's which carried 30 years Uh, the first 30 years runs consecutive of your other case the second 30 years runs consecutive to the first 30 years and then 15 and another 15 and two more five year sentences everything running consecutive for for a total of 100 years so thankfully David says no one was harmed during this chase. No members of the public or police were injured while he was on the run. However, when he's brought back in front of the judge, he's charged with the following. Battery on a law enforcement officer, carrying a maximum prison sentence of five years. High-speed fleeing, 15-year maximum. Aggravated assault on a law enforcement officer with a deadly weapon. The deadly weapon in this case is David's car. They say when David struck another police officer's car with his car, That is aggravated assault with a deadly weapon on a law enforcement officer, carrying a maximum of 15 years. Resisting officers with violence, a five-year maximum. And two counts of aggravated battery against a law enforcement officer, both carrying a maximum of 30 years in prison. David Talley was given the maximum on every single one of his charges without the possibility of ever getting parole. The issue here is that Florida as a state just doesn't have a parole system. David's former attorney explains. I just find it amazing that he cannot get any form of hearing where they can say, look, let's okay, let's have a look at your, what, what's happened over the last 22 years. 
you've become a law clerk, you're walking, working in the prison, you know, you've been clean, you've set out of trouble, you've proven that, you know, you are rehabilitated. You know, you're in a, you're in a, a situation where you can get drugs if you want them, you haven't, you're focused on, you know, your life and getting yourself on track. You know what? 22 years for what you did, I think we can safely say you've paid your debt to society. I, I agree completely. And that's traditionally how a parole system works. We have still by law a parole board, but I don't think a governor has appointed anybody to the parole board in more than 20 years. Wow. So there aren't any parole hearings because there's nobody on the parole board to hear them. Florida just doesn't use that anymore. And the judge doesn't have the authority to have a hearing and consider any of those things now. There is a procedure that's available. That would be a petition for what's called executive clemency. That's uh, not a legal matter. It's run through the governor's office and the clemency board is the governor in his cabinet. I, I don't think with our very conservative current governor that that would happen. Now, he's up for re-election and today's election day. And if he is invited to leave the governor's mansion, the next guy might be more open to that idea. And the result of that election? You can see in Florida at this hour, ABC News can now project that Ron DeSantis has been re-elected as governor. So with Governor DeSantis back in the hot seat, it seems our best course of action is to try and get a sit down with the man himself. Thank you for calling the governor's press office. How can I help you? Yeah, hi. I'm just following up on an email that I sent requesting an interview. Um, my name's Jack Lawrence. I'm a, a journalist from Australia. Um, I sent through an email to the, the Now, media. to be fair, my timing isn't great. With his recent re-election and a number of hurricanes ripping through Florida in recent weeks, as well as talk of a run for presidency, it seems getting that one-on-one -on -one is about as likely as the governor offering out clemency anytime soon. I would go ahead and try to re-forward your email so that it goes to the top of the inbox, um, and then I will keep an eye out for it. Okay, great, because I'm just trying to get an interview with the governor. I don't suppose you know if that's, there's a possibility of that happening at all? Um, not at the moment, no, but I would go ahead and just resend that email. Okay, no problem. Uh, I'll try again. Yeah. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. Have a good day. It seems when you go to prison, you really have two options. You can give up, sit around, do nothing, get yourself in trouble all the time. Or you can do what David does, work hard and focus on trying to get yourself released. Uh, currently, I'm in, uh, I work in uh, food service. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get uh, transferred to another camp that has me slated for law clerking again. But currently, I'm working in the food service. Uh, get up like through, uh, 2 o'clock in the morning. We go in at 3. I spend my day uh, working in the, the kosher cage. I serve uh, the kosher meal. We prepare the kosher meal. I get back to the dorm about 10 o'clock, and uh, I usually, uh, you know, shower and take a nap till the evening, and then I spend the evening just uh, either watching TV or uh, playing on a tablet. I have a tablet. We have some games on the tablet, stuff like that, or uh, emailing friends and family. So that's pretty much it. How many men are you in, in your particular area? Uh, there's 72, 72 in my, on this side of the dorm. Uh, the dorm is separated by a, a middle partition, and there's another 72 on the other side. So. And do you have just the, the one cellmate? No, we're in an open bay dorm. It's all open bay. They do have two-man rooms here, but this 
this is an open base, so it's 72 men on a, Some a big open dorm. Yeah. We won't be giving up on David, and neither will his many supporters. The only hope is that David won't give up on himself. That's, that's my biggest fear is him just giving up hope. Like, he doesn't have any reason left to live, you know what I mean? Like, who wants to die in prison? We will continue to follow up on David's story, and I'll update you on any further developments in his case. Of course, with David having a 100-year sentence with no option for parole, he faces the real possibility of living out the rest of his life behind bars. But what about if you were actually told that you will die in prison at the hand of the state for a crime you say you had no part in? Hello, this is a prepaid call from... Demanding a car. An inmate at a Florida Department of Corrections institution. Um, I was charged and found guilty of first-degree capital premeditated felony murder and first-degree kidnapping. I was originally sentenced to death and now I'm serving two life sentences. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Listener.